0: Trader's Point, how are we doing? I'm going to say it one more time. I'm sure we've heard it everywhere, but we are days away from our first Christmas services. You guys ready for this? I'm ready for it. And I just want to take a moment at the top here to celebrate all of our teams and for you to know This week that's about to happen started happening months and months ago with planning and prepping, both from a staff side and a volunteer standpoint to do everything we can because we know what's at stake. There are people that will be here this week that it's their only time they will show up and the gospel will be presented. So we wanna remove every barrier. We wanna create the warmest environment for them to walk into so that they can hear the life-changing truth about who Jesus is. So can we celebrate all of our team, staff and volunteers? that have been working like crazy. And I also want to take a moment here and honor and celebrate our lead pastor, Aaron Brockett, who once all the teams have done all that work to set up the moment for the gospel to be preached, for the truth about who Jesus is and his birth to be declared and for lives to be changed. We just want to come underneath him. We want to celebrate and honor him right now. So can we put that out there? Show the love that we have for our pastor. Incredible. And uh, one more thing as well, as we quickly approach the end of the year, I just want to challenge you with a question. And it's this, what could a year end gift look like for me? You see, we, we move at the speed of our generosity. And for you to know, for you to know this, that there are always more opportunities that we say no to than yes, that we have more vision than we have resources for that there are more churches to plant. There are more leaders to develop. There are more vulnerable children and families to come alongside and serve in this this next year. We are not done. So let's finish this year strong so that we can bring hope and help to as many as possible in the year to come. Y'all with us on that vision? And uh, as far as today goes, we are continuing in our Christmas series for all the people. And what we've been trying to do over these past few weeks is just to make that overly clear that God is for all people. No matter what you've heard, this was the message that was was brought from heaven to earth on that first Christmas. And it was true then and it's true now. Let me show you. Luke chapter 2. It says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of Lords of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to who all people. This is the message that comes on Christmas. And what we've been doing over the past few weeks is to say, okay, if that's true, then what gets in the way of that? What stops us from believing that God is truly for all people? So each week we've just been wrestling with some different emotions that stop us from believing that truth. Emotions like fear and shame. And today we're going to address guilt. But what I want you to see more than anything is that it doesn't matter the emotion One of the messages that Christmas tells us is that God will meet you right there, no matter where you are. Don't wait for that emotion to dissipate and then you say, I'll take a step towards God. No, no, no. God came to meet you right where you are to bring you out of that fear, to bring you out of that shame, to bring you out of that guilt. Is there anybody here today in the room, at the campuses, online, that God has brought out of fear, that has brought out of shame, that has been brought out of guilt. And what we want to look at today is just that, guilt. For a lot of the time, it's going to be the feeling of guilt. And here's what we mean. Guilt comes up as a feeling when you get when you did something wrong or when you think you did something wrong, right? What you get when you did something wrong or when you feel like you you probably did something wrong. Um, and I know that's a feeling that a lot of us live with every single day. It may be emotion you brought in here and you sat down with, but just to get us acquainted to the feeling and to have a soft step into it, I just want to give you some examples of things in your life that might bring you a little bit of guilt. The first one being this, a guilty pleasure, right? This is something that you enjoy, But if you knew other people knew this about you, you would be a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I'm not going to ask you to share it with me or even with the person next to you. But I'll tell you how big of a man I am. I'm going to tell you mine right now in front of all of you at all the campuses. All right, you ready for this? My guilty pleasure, I'm going to tell you. Um, I love Chick. Chick. I wish I could finish that with filet. Uh, I wish I could say it's Chick-fil-A. That is what I love. That's my guilty pleasure. All of you would be like, nah, that's the Lord's chicken. You don't have to be guilty for that. But it's not that, that's not my guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure is chick flicks. I love them. I used to not be man enough to say that. I used to put it under the banner of, no, I like romantic comedies until I realized like, I don't even need them to be funny. (laughs) The sadder, the better. Like I love a good tearjerker. The notebook, come on, like any. My first date with my now wife, we went to go see Dear John. And I remember she was like, I can't believe you're willing to go see Dear John. I was like, girl, anything for you? Um, (laughs) You just make sure you look at the screen. You don't look over here at me. but we have these guilty pleasures. That, that's a soft one. But what about this? A guilt trip. Maybe you got someone in your life, a friend, a family member. They take you on one of these trips every time you see them. It's never a, a straight out, like, I want you to feel guilty for doing this. It's, it's kind of manipulative. It's, you know, if you really cared, if you really loved me, maybe you would do this. But I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to put it out there. And you walk away like, okay, I'll do the thing that you want me to do. And you feel guilty. That's not a trip. It's not a fun trip. It's not like spring break. Um, buyer's remorse, right? That'll produce some guilt. You got yourself all hopped up. You're going to go and make this big purchase. You got no business making. And then you buy it. You're feeling good. You walk out, you sit in the car, maybe you even buckling in cause you're like, this is my baby. I'm going to buckle this in. And you start driving home, you're like, How am I gonna explain this to my spouse? I done messed up now. And the guilt begins to kind of rush over us. But here's the big one it's sin. Sin produces guilt in our life. And by sin, I mean doing something that hurts the relationship between us and God and between us and other people. We've lied, we've cheated, we did something we weren't supposed to do. We've sinned and now we feel guilt. What I do want to say is that guilt is actually a rational response to sin. It's not necessarily a bad thing to feel guilt when something happens. The problem comes with how we address our guilt. And that's what we want to focus on today is how do we process guilt in a healthy way? For a lot of us, we've only seen guilt move one way and it goes from guilt to shame. And the best way I can describe this is guilt says, you know, I did something, I made a mistake. Shame says you are a mistake. So a lot of times we fear any conversation about guilt, but what we want to see today is that because of Jesus, that there's actually a whole nother direction over here that we can move in. That guilt doesn't have to end in shame, but it actually can move from guilt to joy. Now, that is the power of the Christmas story and what Jesus came to bring. And what, what maybe you're thinking, but what about the Christmas story in guilt? Is, is, it, is there? there? Is, the, is it there? It is on one level, which we're going to hit on at the very end. But I also want us to look at even the feeling of guilt in the Christmas story. It's not out there. It's not that direct. It doesn't say, and then Mary and Joseph felt guilt. But I think if we read this story, like they're real people, they're not fictional characters that that live perfectly. No, they're like me and you. And they have real emotions that would have been running through their bodies. So just look at a few of these examples and put yourself in there with fresh eyes and to say, man, if that was me, I think I could have felt some, some guilt with that one. So take a look at this. It says, she gave birth to her firstborn son. This is Mary giving birth to Jesus. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. I want you to think about this. She has just given birth to her first son. She's in a place that is not her home. She had to travel from her home for this census. And while she's there, there's nowhere she can get in at. There's no place that would have been comfortable for her. So she's forced to come out here where there's no lodging available and she lays her baby boy down in a manger. It's not a spot for a baby. Think about that as a parent laying your child down. What would you be thinking? Would there be guilt that you had to lay your baby down into a manger? That you're not laying them down into some nice Egyptian cotton And you're wondering, am I ever, is there ever gonna be a place for my baby in this world? Am I gonna be the thing that keeps my baby from a healthy life? There might be some guilt. And keep reading. Just one more. Eight days later when the baby was circumcised, and I just wanna pause here on this one. I have three kids, two girls, one boy, and I'm telling you there's some guilt that comes with this. I remember holding my baby boy loving on him, getting to know him a little bit. He he, we're blocking eyes like we're becoming a thing. And then it's only short lived because the doctors come, the nurses grab him and they roll him away. And my man has no idea what's about to happen to him. And there's nothing I could say. There's nothing I could help him. Like, man, you're about to get carved up, but (laughs) there's some guilt there. All right. But that's not the real thing that I want to look at. It says, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So his parents took him to Jerusalem. Okay, so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Once again, it's all right there in the details. If we really place ourselves in the story and ask what is going on here. It is true that whenever a firstborn child was a son, he must be dedicated to the Lord and they had to take a sacrifice there. But there was actually two different sacrifices. The ones that they were bringing, which is sufficient, two turtle doves or two pigeons, was only an option for the poor. I want you to think about that. Look, look at where this law comes from in Leviticus. It says, if a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Once again, place yourself in the scene. This is a real thing that happened. They're walking to the temple. They have their baby and they're holding these two little birds and they look out maybe they see some other parents up there with the lamb, the full sacrifice. What are some thoughts that could be running through their minds of like, is it always going to be like this? Will we ever be able to provide for him the life that he really needs? I mean, we can't even provide the full sacrifice. There's some guilt there. Guilt, not just what we did wrong, but even not being enough. What we want to do today is to show once, once again, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing that if it's addressed in a healthy way, it can actually lead not to shame, but to guilt. But it's all in how we navigate our guilt. We can't be fearful of it, we can't run from it, we can't pretend that it doesn't exist. We have to address it. And the way we're gonna look at how we do that is by looking at and studying through Psalm 32. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. This is a Psalm um, of David. And David is a man, an amazing man, a king, but he's also someone who lived a lot of life and had a lot of things to feel guilty about. Whether that was through marriage, through parenting, really any facet of his life, he experienced some guilt. But what I want us to see is that he found joy and he found a healthy way to navigate through it. And and I want to push us on that because the same thing that was there for David that he found in this psalm is the same thing we can all find and walk out of here with all right so take a look at this psalm 32 we're going to read it in its entirety and then we'll break it down line by line it says oh what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight yes what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. What a picture of life. But when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. There's some people here today that that feel that heavy hand. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is, say it with me, gone. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is powerful enough not to deal with just a little bit of your guilt, not 50 percent now, 50 percent later, but all of your guilt that it can be removed as far as the east is from the west? Has there anybody that's experienced that kind of freedom today that can attest to, yes, God has removed it. My sin was a lot. My guilt was heavy, but God removed it. And what I want us to do is just to say how, because David walks us through line by line here of what that looks like, how that we can be one of those people that live in honesty, that we can be one of those people that experience not guilt to shame, but guilt to joy. And that's the way it started, right? Did you see that? It says, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. It's all about how we approach God, the mindset that we have when we're dealing with our guilt because a lot of us, whether we're aware of it or not, we are motivated by guilt. We just do things to take away the ache. We live on a guilt field trip. What God is trying to say is no, no, no. You don't do things because you're guilted into them. You do things because you are loved. It's okay to feel guilt because you understand that that is not where it ends, but it actually ends in joy. That that is what we actually get to experience as followers of Jesus. That it doesn't end in guilt, but there's actually a way that it can end in joy, but we have to reshape the way we look at it and the way we approach it. So keep reading here. It says, when I confessed my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. I just want to pause here and to highlight this. A lot of times we think, no, we can just take that guilt. We'll just stuff it down. No one has to know about it. It'll never come out. But the truth is with guilt, it can actually begin to bear like physical and emotional tolls on our life. That you can feel sick to your stomach that people around you notice. There is no way to hold it in. Holding it in and pretending like it's going to go away, that our body is just somehow going to absorb it, is just not true. We have to find a way to address it, how to hand it over in a a healthy way. All right. So take a look at this, what he says. Day and night, your heavy hand of discipline was on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. We can't run. We can't hide. We can't pretend. But God gives us exactly what we need to do with this. We need to confess it. We need to get it out of us. And I want to only give you something that hopefully will reshape the way that you view guilt in your life. And here it is. This is going to shape up everything we talk about next. Let guilt be a vehicle that drives us to the grace of God. I'm going to say it again. Let guilt be a vehicle that drives us to the grace of God. Once again, guilt is a vehicle, not a house. You don't live there. Guilt is a vehicle. More like it is like an Uber driver coming to pick you up. It is going to take you to the grace of God. You're waving by. I'm not seeing it again. God is going to deal with that. How he deals with it depends on what we are open enough to do with it, how we address it. And I think that there's really two big ways, two different tracks that when we experience guilt, that we can deal with it in a healthy way, depending on why it's coming in. That when we experience guilt, that it does not have to move towards shame. No, it's a vehicle that can take me to two opportunities. That when I experience guilt, it can take me to the opportunity of repentance. I have an opportunity to repent and go to the grace of God. Or I experience guilt and I have an opportunity to grow. And once again, all roads that flee to Jesus end in grace. So what I want us to do here is just to work through each side of that. All right, we're going to start um, on the left side with we experience guilt. And when we experience guilt, I want us to think about we're experiencing it because we've sinned. We've messed up. We're separating it from I messed up. It's not, I am a mess up. I made a mistake. I'm not a mistake. I'm separating my identity from it, but I am identifying. Yeah, I have sinned. I have done something that has hurt the relationship between me or and God or the relationship between me and someone else. We have to identify where it's coming from. And then the Bible makes it very clear of what we should do next. Look at this. It was in Psalm 32. It says, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. That hand is there. It's a loving hand. It is bringing discipline, but it's going to lead you once again to the grace of God. I think it's very similar to what we see in 2 Corinthians. Maybe you're more familiar with this one. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, that's the key word when it comes to being able to deal with our guilt in a healthy way, results in spiritual death. So if we go back to our chart there and we look at it and we say that guilt is on this side and we've identified, Hey, I've sinned, I'm owning it. I messed up. It says the next thing that we need to do is to repent. That I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from what I did and now I'm going to shift a 180 and I'm going to move in the opposite direction. That begins the process of repentance. Identifying that I have sinned. And then the key to this is in the confession. David mentions it in Psalm 32. Look at this. It said, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. I want you to to, to think about this and and I want you to, to write it down, okay? You are experiencing guilt. You need to know this. Confession is a guilt killer confession is a guilt killer and I'm gonna tell you I think that we even know this on some level because if you think back to that moment when you sin the moment you did something wrong the first instinct is for you to say I got to get this out of here I got to tell somebody I got to do something with this it's almost like your body knows that there is something A foreign object in here that needs to be released it needs to get out that is God's hand disciplining you to confess it to confess it to him and to confess it to others but the enemy's job and I'm gonna the enemy the devil is that the moment you have that thought if I have to confess it it's immediately met by another voice that says are you sure are you sure that's the best thing that you can do I mean let's be honest Do you think they'll really understand where you're coming from? Do you think that they're going to be able to see this the way that you see it? You really think you're going to get forgiveness out of this? Do you know how messed up you are? Do you think God wants to hear another one of your mistakes? No. No, no. I got a better idea. Instead of confessing it, why don't you just take it in? why don't you just move it down a little bit below the surface? Why don't you just pretend like it's not really a thing? Yeah, 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 no, no. I promise you keep it there long enough. It'll probably go away on its own. Just, just push it just a little bit lower and a little bit lower. But God makes it clear that it is not going to go away on its own. It is not going to just absorb into you. If only, if anything, it's going to grow and it's going to become worse but it actually needs to be brought out into the light. In darkness, guilt grows. In the light, it dissipates. In the light, God can actually bring his healing hand to it and do something with it. Confession is how we do that, and we have to be able to take it to God, which is so hard to do. But I would almost venture to say that that's actually the easiest part of this process that we're gonna walk through with repentance, so welcome. The next one that I would say is when you're repenting, it obviously involves confessing it to God, but, but it, conf- it also includes confessing it to others. Confessing it to others. And, and I want to be clear on this side of it, too, because I do think there's sometimes that we, we sin, we mess up, but there's no one directly that we can take it to, right? Right. Like for example, I'm just gonna give an example. Maybe none of you have ever or could relate to this, but say you're driving and you got a little bit of road rage going and you're saying some not so nice things about the car in front of you. Not about the car, about the person. And I'm, I'm not so nice. I mean, you're saying horrible things about them. You are believing the worst. They are the worst human on the planet and they're in front of you. Now, I'm not saying that you should chase them down, block them in, knock on their window and say, Hey, glad I caught you. Um, just want to confess to you, uh, had some impure thoughts about you back there. Just wanted to follow up. Are we, we good? You're going to create more problems, but I'm saying that there is a moment when you feel that sin, when we confess it to God, we also need to confess it to others. That there is actually power in the confession. That's one of the things I love so much about the beauty of our church. And it's the power that we find, look at it in James. It says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There is power in prayer. There is power in confessing it to someone. Keep those claps coming. We're just getting warmed up, baby. (laughs) I want to apologize to anyone that ever grew up in a church or who believed that when they messed up, that it was theirs to own and they felt that they couldn't bring it to their church family. They felt they couldn't bring it to leadership, that that would be looked upon as something that was completely wrong to them, and they would be sent away. That is not true of this church. Every single Sunday, we have people at the ready, people in every room at the end of service where you can come up and you can share whatever you are going through, whatever struggle, whatever sin, and I promise you, you will not be met with judgment. You will be met with the help and the hope that can only be found in Jesus. You will have someone that will pray over you, that will bring down the power of God to reshape your life. Is there anyone here that has experienced that kind of confession, that kind of prayer, that kind of power here at this church? That is something that is available all the time, every time, at every single campus. All right? And it only gets harder from here. I'm going to talk about now when we've sinned, we've done something to hurt the relationship with someone, and it's someone that we know. And we've repented, we've confessed it to God, now we need to confess it to the person. Here's what we need to do. We need to ask for forgiveness. I did this own it, no excuses at the point, no reasons why you did it. I did this. I'm guilty. I'm asking though for your forgiveness. This is a vulnerable moment. This is a really hard thing to do. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's not. And I also want to say, on top of that, is that when you do this, there's a a good chance that it won't be met with forgiveness. At least right there in the moment, maybe later down the road, but right there, you have to be ready for, you may not receive that forgiveness from them, and that's okay. This, what you did in this moment was you gave them permission, you gave them the opportunity to forgive you. You gave yourself the opportunity to confess it and to follow through with God's plan of how to deal with guilt. But I can tell you how they receive it or how they respond that there's still good news on the other side of it. Cause I want you to look at it back at our, at our graph here that we, we have guilt, we repent of it. It ends in grace. It doesn't end in judgment. It says that God is faithful to forgive us. God is faithful to extend grace. It says that God is greater than our feelings. So even when we feel guilty, we can trust that grace is for us on the other side. The forgiveness that we truly need, the forgiveness that keeps us from God in a relationship with him, it is already yours for followers of Jesus. God knows you're going to stumble. God knows you're going to fall. And you need to hear this today. There is grace that awaits you after the confession. Amen. That's one side. Got one more side for you. So that first side we're looking at is guilt to repent. So this is when we've done something wrong. And I think we've all felt that kind of guilt. But I I want to venture to say that there's another side of when we experience guilt. And a lot of times this is when that there is an opportunity to grow. Here, let, let me explain this. Especially for followers of Jesus, when you first start following Jesus, you go from this place of unknowing to knowing a whole lot more, right? Like before you started following Jesus, maybe you thought you were, you were pretty, pretty great. You didn't even really feel any guilt, but you were motivated by love that a God could love you this so so much and you started following Jesus and then you get into it and you start looking at God's word and you start looking at the life that God has called you to and it's a really big life and it's very different from the life that you've been living and you're like whoo man I feel a little guilty it's not necessarily sin but you're just kind of looking at your life and you're like man I spend a lot of time watching tv I mean Hallmark's got another chick flick coming. What am I going to do? I spend a lot, I mean, I spend a lot of time watching sports. Uh, you guys didn't buy that. Uh, you, though, you did. Um, I spend a lot of time scrolling on social media. It goes into our spiritual disciplines when we start looking at our lives and, like, man, I wish I would just spend more time reading God's word. I wish I'd be more dedicated to that. I wish I would spend more time in prayer. I wish I would spend more time invested in my group. I wish I would be more generous with my time and with my money. And we feel a little bit of guilt on that side, man, am I ever going to be enough? Am I going to be able to do this? And I would say for a lot of us, when we experience the resistance of growth, we allow it to push us back to guilt. And we just drift back and we say, well, that is just who we are. That's what, I mean, we're never going to be able to do that. That's, I'm messing up. I'm messing up again. I'm messing up again. But hear this, remember. Let guilt be a vehicle that drives us to the grace of God. And I just want all of us to have this shift this week going into it. What if the way we approached our lives, it wasn't going into it, seeing all the ways that we weren't enough or we wish we could do more. Instead of just saying in our minds over and over again, man, we're messing up, man, we're messing up. Cause that's one shift away from I am a mess up. And no matter how you slice it, that way is only gonna lead back to guilt and feeling sorry for ourselves. But what if, what if, instead of saying, Man, I'm messing up. What if we said, I'm growing up? I'm growing up. I'm not messing up. I'm not falling back. I'm growing up. And yeah, there's a little bit of growth pains in this, but I am being made into the image of Jesus. The hand of God is on my life to mold me and to shape me. Yeah, it's a little ugly. Yeah, it's a little bit pretty, but I'm not falling back. I'm falling forward into the grace of God think about this if we go back it is guilt it is grow it is grace it is grace when we fall short it is grace when we're not where we are but we can see where God is taking us it is grace that will be there every single time a lot of us if you grew up in church maybe you felt the weight of religion where you got pushed to all of the growth, but it lacked the grace. So you felt the weight of trying to do it on your own, the weight of showing up and falling short every single time. You need to know Jesus died to give you so much better than that. Grace is for something that you can't do on your own. It is for God to step in in the gap when you're falling short. You are not asked to do this on your own. You have been empowered by the very spirit of God to live this thing out, that you can lean on him in this season. Somebody needs to hear this. Moving into the Christmas season, you are being made into the image of God, and that is a work of God, and it is his grace alone that is making that happen. Amen. Thought we'd get three more amens, but we're going to go with one. (laughs) Here we go. Got it. Um, But I do want to say that I think that there's, maybe you're looking at that chart and you need to hear something very specific. that Maybe you didn't hear it in that chart. And it's this. You're experiencing guilt in your life because of something that was done to you you were a victim, that is not your weight to carry. It is not your fault. And I, God, through his grace and through his love and through his power, I believe if you confess that he can take that from you today, but that is no longer yours to carry. I pray that you walk out of here much lighter than you walked in and you know that truth, believe it. It's not yours to carry. The other group that I want to talk to is a group of people that you've lived a lot of life, maybe just like David, and you have some things that you are feeling guilty for, and you even maybe believe that God has forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. And I just want to say this, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. You are placing unrealistic expectations on yourself, looking at your, pla- at your past. Here's the truth I want you to place on. If you're gonna place something on it, place this. You are not God. You're looking back at your life and you're replaying it every single day of like the what ifs. What if I would have showed up just a little bit more? What if I would have said this? What if I would have stopped them then? Maybe the marriage would still be together. Maybe my kids would be closer to me. Maybe school would look different. Whatever it is, it is not fair. The truth of the matter is you did the best that you could. And there is grace for everything else and God's not done with you God has a plan for your life that's why it is so critical that we do not let guilt fester that we do not let guilt sit there because it is causing more harm than we could possibly believe here's why it's such a big deal it's the biggest of deals first John Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. If you can read it this way, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God. Then it leads me to believe if we do feel guilty, we won't come to God. The devil has spun a web of lies lies in your life to make you believe that it is your fault, that you could have done better, and those lies are keeping you from God. The truth is you are not God. The truth is that grace has been extended to you. You need to forgive yourself. God has a plan. And God came not to just deal with the feeling of guilt, which if he would have done just on that alone would have been enough to remove the feeling of guilt, but God had a bigger plan. You see, the first Christmas wasn't just about removing the feeling. It was about removing the pronouncement of guilt. I want you to think about it coming from a judge. We find you to be guilty. You have broken the law, and now you are under the penalty of it. That was all of us. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. All of us guilty. So how did the guilty become innocent? It is only by the grace of God. That is, the grace of God that lays before us. This is how God managed to do this. Knowing that we couldn't live up to his perfect law that we fell short, He would send his only son that Jesus would place himself under the law for a season and he would live the perfect life that we could have never possibly lived. And at 30 years old, he began his ministry and he began teaching and healing and sharing about the kingdom of God, that it's at hand and it's available for everyone. Innocent in every way, never broke one law, but yet he was still arrested falsely accused, brought in front of Pilate. They wanted this man crucified, innocent. Even Pilate thought so. Do you remember this? Look at this. It says, then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. He didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent all the way to the very end. But the crowd wasn't satisfied by that. They still kept chanting, crucify him. And so they did. Our savior was taken and nailed to a cross where he was murdered. And I want you to think about this. From that cross, he was taken down and he was placed into a tomb. It wasn't even his. It was a borrowed tomb from a borrowed manger that he was laid in at birth to a borrowed tomb that he was given. From strips of cloth that he was wrapped in as a baby, now he's wrapped in cloths and laid into a tomb to die. Think about this, the lamb that his family couldn't afford at his birth, he would become the sacrificial lamb that this world couldn't afford, but desperately needed. God would pay the cost because only he could. But our God did not remain dead. Three days later, Jesus' body began to move. He began to breathe. (laughs) Proving that he has power over shame, over fear, over death, over sin, over all of it. And what did he extend as he walked out of that grave? He extended grace. And now it is by faith that we are saved through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That is the only way we move from guilty to innocent. That is the only thing, placing your faith in him, that will truly dig out guilt at its root, that can truly meet your guilt. It's the only thing that can cover it and that is the blood of Jesus and it's available for you today. What I want us to do is just, we're gonna pray, but it's gonna be more of a time of confession. A time for us to confess to God, to ready our hearts to confess it to others, to repent and to walk out of here leaving our guilt in this room. Walking out of here lighter, walking out of here in the freedom. Listen to this, walking out of here in the joy that this season represents. The only way we get to that is if we get to a close relationship with Jesus. And to do that, we must rid ourselves of the guilt, to use it as a vehicle over and over again to get us to the grace of God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for a way, a way to process, a way to address, a way to deal with our guilt in a healthy way. God, I pray that the days of us going from guilt to shame are done. But I I pray that we would move from guilt to joy and that is only in your name, Jesus, that something that wild is even possible. So God, right now, we acknowledge our faith in you and in you alone. God, I pray that there's people here today that have never placed your faith in them, but they're believing right now that you can deal with their guilt. I pray that they confess to you their faith, that they see you as Lord and Savior, that you will sanctify them, that you will lead them to opportunities to grow. God, we pray for repentant hearts. God, I pray that forgiveness will be quick to come off of our lips. I pray that we would be the kind of people that would live honest lives, that have nothing to hide, because we already know how you are gonna respond. So God, I just wanna create just a moment of silence right now for the confessions to come to you, for the sin to be released through a confession of, God, I don't wanna hold on to this anymore Just hand it over to God in this moment. Confess your sin, confess your guilt, God, we thank you that all roads that lead to you are paved with grace. Whether we're repenting or we're growing, we know that we're gonna come to you and we know what awaits us. It's grace to turn us around, it's grace to grow us into your image. And God, I pray that there's people today that are gonna be walking in your kingdom, acknowledging your kingdom for the very first time. And God, I pray they walk in with their heads held high, approaching you with bold confidence, coming to you as sons and daughters, freed of any guilt that was holding them down. And God, I pray that we stand in your kingdom, acknowledging you as the king above it all. You reign, King Jesus. God, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, you are King. We're not waiting until that day comes. We're gonna willingly stand up. We're gonna willingly shout. We're gonna willingly lean into you and your grace and acknowledge you as the King that you are, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray, amen.